What's going on, everybody? Might go back with another episode of Hobby Talk. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to the show. Super excited to have another episode out, to have an episode out post-lockout. None of that to worry about. Spring is here. Baseball season is very, very close. And I'm also very excited to have a special guest today, Nina S. Nina, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Very, very excited to be here myself. Well, I absolutely appreciate it. Nina S. is on YouTube, puts out videos from time to time, has a fantastic collection, great stories behind it. So we will certainly get into that. Uh, Nina, for people who aren't familiar with you, YouTube, I know you've done a little Instagram stuff as well. Uh, Just a really kind of brief history on... uh, where you are in social media and your story getting into the hobby, getting back into the hobby, being involved in cards, finding your way to a sports card podcast. <laughs> well, it, it pretty much started again in 2018. I've collected on and off throughout my life. Um, when I was a kid, my first set was, uh, I mostly have 1970, 71 tops. Uh, and it took a hiatus, and the 80s came along, and, you know, we all went crazy, and so did the card companies. But then in 2018, um, I was talking with my nephew, Matt, and he was showing me a lot of the new modern cards, and I was like, wow, I couldn't believe how much cards had changed over the decades. So um, I got back in in 2018, and that's the time when the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians were pretty hot and uh, it was fun fun to start collecting again it's one of those things where a lot of people that's what it takes like someone introducing them and or reintroducing them and you just kind of look back and you start thinking about of course immediately your past with either the sport or collecting of some sort and then you're kind of curious by the evolution and then you kind of start looking into things and it can snowball pretty quickly and next thing you know you're (laughs) like well i'm I'm more than back into the hobby or more than into the <laughs> hobby. Um, you go through different phases, obsessions even sometimes, you know, uh, yes. feeling like you have to play catch up. And uh, there's a lot of uh, different ways and different paths that the hobby can take. And it is certainly uh, collecting is kind of a long term type of thing. Uh, before we get too in depth in the collecting things, uh, just want to kind of address baseball as a whole upcoming season 2022 season fast approaching at the time of this recording opening day a little over a week away i think we're like 10 days away maybe nine days and to me i i'm in a positive frame of mind have a positive outlook super excited the last couple years have obviously been abnormal to say the least uh 2020 Mm -hmm. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what was going on. We had a spring without baseball and, of course, so many other issues uh, far more important as well. But as a baseball fan, you just kind of kept waiting like, "Uh uh-oh, when is this going to start? And when you kind of realized, all right, they'll be able to play, of course, you had the bickering going on of how and what they're going to do between the players and the owners. And I knew beforehand, but you knew we had a looming lockout slash strike coming up. 2021, you still had a season where we didn't start at full capacity, started with no fans in some areas, limited fans in others. As the year went on, eventually some of those restrictions went away and you had some full-blown stadiums. I know for me personally, I only made it to one game last year, and that's completely abnormal from – the way things were for a long time. But uh, just to me, this season, it, it feels like the first like normal opening day in a while. And with the lockout finally being settled, I mean, knowing we're getting 162 games, to me, I, I couldn't be more excited for uh, for the upcoming baseball season. Nina, do you, uh, do you have any thoughts on this upcoming season? No, I'm with you. You know, it was a really rough couple of years, past two years, for many reasons. And, you know, in the big scheme of life, baseball is just a game. But it's America's pastime, and it kind of grounds us in, you know, normalcy of life. 
And so, you know, I was very grateful to have whatever baseball we had. But um, I am so happy that this is going to be a normal year. So happy they settled the lockouts because it was starting to freak me out a little bit. Like we were going to have another crazy year of baseball. And um, I just enjoy it. I mean, obviously, as a fan of the Cleveland Guardians, this is probably not going to be our stellar year. <laughs> Me trying to be optimistic there. But there's a, you know, there's a couple of players that I'm excited to see again. And we have a lot of young guys. And to me, you just never know who the next star is going to be. You know, Jonathan India took off from Cincinnati last year. So um, who knows? Maybe one of our Guardian players will outshine our expectations. But like you, Mike, I'm ready to go to the games. I'm already uh, trying to line up some dates so I can get back out there. Yeah, and it's uh, you never know when the building blocks start because I can look back at like old highlights and the Phillies always put out home companion videos back in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, now they continue to do it, video yearbooks, and you can go back and kind of watch teams evolve and grow. Um, you can see the 08 Phillies who won the World Series. You can see them grow through the mid and early 2000s, and then really it's really interesting, and they were a little more behind-the-scenes heavy. The 93 Phillies team, which is kind of a legendary team, which I'm I'm still shocked. I've said it before. I'm I'm shocked that they haven't made some sort of uh, ESPN 30 for 30 on the team or some sort of documentary just because that was a wacky team full of characters. Honestly, they could probably make like a movie about that team. But if you look at those old home, 89 is where it kind of started, where they start breaking up the team they had then. They made some trades. Uh, right. They acquired guys like Lenny Dykstra and John Crook. And then 90 and 91, you actually – but you see the team build up to what they became in 93. So there's something to look forward to every year, whether your team is has World Series aspirations that year, playoff aspirations. I think most fans are somewhat realistic. You'll be optimistic and you're hoping for the best. But you kind of know going in every year what your likely limitations are. But you never know. Surprises right. do happen. And we're at a time where you hear a lot of national people or I hear different people kind of talk down on baseball from time to time. But there's no doubt that the young stars in this game right now are just unbelievably talented. I mean, it's an incredible crop of players. So to get out there and go to a game um, to see even – you know, you want to see your team succeed, but just to have a chance to witness other players, other teams, potential Hall of Famers, to know that you got an opportunity to see some of these guys that people in 10, 20, 30 years will be looking back being like, man, I wish I got to see that guy pitch. And sometimes you do take that for granted. Like young Clayton Kershaw used to see him pitch. And it's like, now you look back and like, man, I was really lucky to have an opportunity to see that, see an all-time great, you know, at his peak. So It's just very exciting. No, definitely. You were saying the other night, uh, I think it was on your sale about, you know, you want to go when the Angels come to Philly. And that's kind of how I feel, you know. All right, so my team might not be the best, but I can go when we play the White Sox and the Angels and, yeah, even the Yankees um, and see some awesome players that, you know, from for the rest of my life. And I can, oh, yeah, I saw that guy play. And he was awesome. They beat us 12 to 2. <laughs> but anyway, yes, very exciting. And, you know, every year is a new story. I mean, people love reality TV. I mean, I guess I don't know if that's still the big craze in the TV <laughs> world anymore, but like the true reality TV is the news, which is ever popular. I mean, granted, things have changed a little bit now where sometimes it's, uh, it's a little different than it used to be, for sure. But uh, sports, it's a reality show. Every night is a new episode, and then you have the whole season, and it's built up on previous seasons. And for baseball, one of the great things is the tradition. Right. Some franchises are only 20 years old, but a lot of franchises have 100, 100 plus years of history and tradition and evolutions, and things change. Uh, sometimes, you know, things change in a small way with a little uniform tweak, sometimes a big change with a full blown, you know, uh, uh, 
team nickname rebranding, which obviously you're having this year. So opening day, you get the very first opening day for the Cleveland Guardians. So, I mean, there's got to be something interesting and historical to some degree about that, which is definitely fun. Oh, definitely. You know, it's an exciting time. And I know a lot of people, it's, it's a lot of people who are very unhappy about it. And I understand that, you know, the continuity of how long we've been the Cleveland Indians, but you know, eras, there are eras in baseball and this is a new era and you know, it's a name. We're still Cleveland and Cleveland has had a rich, rich baseball history. So I don't think anything really changes that way. And of course, baseball is a rich history and, we will definitely be getting into some vintage card talk shortly, but the fantastic history of baseball, that's one of the things to me that makes collecting fun. And I love the ultra modern stuff and the modern stuff. I I personally am someone I, I truly enjoy it all. I love it all. I love the Mm -hmm. pre-war. I love the vintage modern from when I was growing up, the ultra modern, just to see, hey, who's this guy going to become or how things are going to develop and all of that collecting. But the history of baseball is just so unbelievable and there's so many ways to follow it. And I think that's something that will help a lot of people if you're collecting vintage and if you're getting involved in vintage. And a lot of the newer people in the hobby – are going to start with modern and ultra modern. And that's just the natural way people start. They kind of start in the here and now and oftentimes work their way back a little bit. Right. And that's the way I did it. Uh, I got involved in 1989, got some packs for my birthday, opening them up, looking at them with my dad. He's telling me about some of the players, some of the guys I didn't know, getting excited to get like Bob Dernier and these guys who were on the Phillies at the time. And then you kind of grow with that and you're growing up and you're following them year after year. And then you get a chance where you can kind of take a step back and start building up and adding vintage stuff uh, and learning a whole kind of new ball game. Yes. It's been fun for me too. Like, uh, you know, I've got the heritage of the Reds because I became a Reds fan as a kid just to make my dad mad because he was such a Cleveland fan. So I thought that was funny. And we actually lived closer to Cincinnati. And it was the time of the big red machine. It was really kind of hard not to be a Reds fan. But, um, you know, throughout time, the different teams that we've had or that I've followed, I've moved around a lot in my corporate days. And, uh, you know, I got to spend... A, big chunk of time in the Dallas area. So I got to see a lot of the Rangers and, you know, that, to me, that's just kind of part of my history then. So when I look at, uh, uh, cards of players from that Rangers era, it brings back a lot of good memories. So I think it's just so, how baseball is so intertwined with our own personal history is always exciting to me. The personal collection, the personal connection to your collection Right. is absolutely one of the strongest parts of appreciating and enjoying the hobby. Now, right now, there's a lot of uh, kind of promoting the expensive trades and the expensive cards. And what I think a lot of people need to realize, and if you're new to it, it gives you a chance to kind of take a step back and be like, not feel overwhelmed, is right. the gigantic cards, the super expensive cards, these hundred thousand dollar cards they are not the norm and they are not the reality that most people live in so you can appreciate and enjoy and collect how you want and what you can afford and there's so many ways to collect uh oftentimes now everything's got to be slabbed and i enjoy credit cards probably a little too much (laughs) Um, (laughs) but the matter of fact is most people are going to collect what they can collect and they're going to collect different ways. And people have expansive collections. Like for me, I have stuff in binders. I have stuff in top loaders. I have stuff that's graded and I, there's cards I love that are probably valued at about a dime or a quarter. And there's cards I have that I love that are valued well beyond that, maybe hundreds of dollars. So there's so many different ways, but the things that always, like matter the most to me are those things that I 
are either nostalgic because it's a player that I grew up idolizing or uh, a card of a moment in time that I shared with a family member. There's just so many different ways and different aspects uh, that can build you up. And that's something that you can... Some things have to be connected to your own experiences, but other things you can almost build up and almost create in a way. Uh, Like you had mentioned at one point, we were talking uh, Ken Burns baseball, amazing Mm -hmm. documentary, something Mm -hmm. that if you're a baseball fan and you haven't seen, you should probably (laughs) see, you should find a way to see it. Uh, It's one of those things that I've watched in part so many times, obviously I've watched straight through uh, multiple times too. Right. Trying to think, I think I watched, it's kind of in sequence about a year, year ago or so. Uh, but mm-hmm. other times I'll literally just watch clips from it or, you know, one up ep- one episode at a time, but you watch these things and you almost start to feel like you've seen these guys play. And <laughs> even some of the movies, some of the Hollywood yeah. uh, versions, the movie 42, the movie yes. 61, you get kind of a little glimpse of these players and you, then you see the surrounding players too. And that can, it, it sounds like it shouldn't, but it can watching that movie can connect you and make you actually enjoy the hobby a little more. It's like, Oh, I feel like I was watching Whitey Ford. Like, even though right, it was an actor playing Whitey Ford or Roger Maris. Right. So, so many ways. It's, it's um, I think I've talked about before, Doris Kearns Goodwin's uh, "Wait Till Next Year" book about the Dodgers in the fifties and what it would what it was like to be a Brooklyn Dodgers fan and and I know it, uh, Alex Bowman fifty three and I we're always talking about how much we feel connected to the Brooklyn Dodgers via her storytelling. I mean, you know, I felt as I was reading the book, I felt like I was that little girl who was so in love and devoted to this team and so heartbroken when they moved. She even talks about that. That's the thing too, when you're talking about like the old, old cards, um, I have a little farmhouse about an hour from my home and it's an area where my mom grew up and we always drive by this open field, which she always reminds me that's where her father just played baseball with a bunch of farmers and it's kind of like field of dreams to me. You know, I kind of have this um, um, imaginary game that I see my grandpa, who I never met, out there playing. And that's what kind of, you know, led me to some of the early 1900s cars. Because unfortunately, my grandpa smoked when he was pretty young. And uh, I keep thinking like, oh, maybe he had this card or maybe he had that card or I wonder who his favorite player was. So it just... I don't know. Baseball brings to life so many things in our own personal lives. Again, I keep saying that over and over again, but it does. And you really feel like you said, part of the rich history of baseball and which is really the history of the United States. So you say it because it's absolutely true. There's so many (laughs) old cards. I do look at old players and I'm like, this was someone's favorite player or someone went to a game and saw this guy get a big hit. And yeah, like it's all connected and quite often underappreciated, I'm sure, by the by the whole um, of collectors out there. People who just maybe aren't aware, and uh, I, I think that's the thing starting out when you get involved in the hobby and you're collecting the modern players, the ultra modern cards, uh, and whether that was ten years ago or currently today, that that's what you know and you grow comfortable with so Mm -hmm. i guess the question comes to people who haven't started yet that are maybe curious maybe they want to why collect vintage what's what's a reason to collect vintage or how do you get started collecting vintage because even though once you're in vintage is so much more simple than the ultra modern stuff right it feels like if you're into the ultra modern stuff you're almost not going to know where to start with vintage because you're going to feel overwhelmed. Right. What are you, uh, what are your thoughts on that topic as as you've begun to uh, get involved in the vintage 
collecting over the last several years? Sure. Um, you know, I remember I listened to your um, podcast with Dustin Bellinger, I believe. Um, and he was talking about vintage. And I can't even remember where I was. I was cleaning up my garage one spring. And, you know, he just talked with such, um, I don't know, he's had such passion for the cards. And I remember him saying something like, you know, just pick a player or pick a team and check out that player. See what you see, what you can find out about that player or that card. And then fast forward a couple months and I was emailing with Rick of Vintage Oddball Cards. And I was like, yeah, I, I really would like to get into uh, vintage cards because I am such a fan of the history of the sport. Um, but I, I get so overwhelmed, like you said, where, where there's so many options and, you know, Rick said, well, you, you know, you're a Cleveland Indians fan and, you know, I think he goes from what I've seen of you that maybe you'd be interested in collecting Larry Doby. And I was like, yes, of course, Larry Doby, you know, the 2018, um, the first African American, American, American league player. And then he also, Rick was also like, or you could think about collecting players who maybe grew up in Ohio. He's, he, you know, his point was find a way to connect um, with the vintage cards personally. And that's how, how I got started. But you're right, Mike. <laughs> Once you get in there, even it's kind of overwhelming. So you, you have to kind of go in, step back out, take a look refocus go back in and 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 my collection is always morphing my vintage collection but it's just exciting uh, i you can't believe that you can get so much excited excitement out of these old cards but you definitely can definitely can get excited about it so i always want to ask you mike though how did you get started with vintage i know you have a lot of vintage in your collection we don't probably see as many videos about it but i know you have it so I think I just started slowly picking some up and mm -hmm. just kind of kept doing it. And I think like a lot of people, when I started it, I was a little hesitant because you feel like you're an expert, whether you are or not, you feel like you're an expert on the modern stuff mm -hmm. and you know it so well and you know what you should or shouldn't pay for certain things or you know what the cost is of it. Or you know the players and the vintage stuff. I think just starting out and getting interested in it, you kind of see a lot of people have the blinders and they think, oh, vintage is so expensive. And in reality, of course, there are vintage cards that are very expensive. Right. But there's also ultra modern cards that are really expensive. And there's a lot of vintage that is very affordable. It's just different tiers. A lot of the pricing comes down to condition. And learning the condition right. and understanding. And I do think grading helps with that and even helped me with that because it made it a lot easier to see what you should or shouldn't potentially be paying for certain cards. And, yes. you know, you have to get used to different conditions. And I've gotten to the point now and you start off in different ways and you're going to evolve as a collector in general. Like you just are. And even if you're, if money is like a centric per if money is a big reason why you collect like, and people have different reasons, even vintage is like, that's the more safe route to go. It's going to stay steady. Uh, it should theoretically grow at a slow pace over time. Of course, we've seen with a lot of stuff, things spike from time to time in the last couple of years, but that's right. not the normal way it rolls. But for me, um, you know, I'm interested in the Hall of Famers, interested in players I felt some sort of connection to and knew. Uh, and then at a certain point, I was like, I did want to do the Phillies Ultimate Tops team set. And I was obviously working on that for a while. Definitely not an overnight project. And I wanted to expand into some other players I knew and recognized and such. And then from there, it's like I finally collected every Phillies tops team set 1951 through the newest release. And I was like, wow, where else do I go? And I was like, well, <laughs> Phillies have been around since the 1800s. Let's get into pre-war. 
and it is it is a lot of fun and i think uh the vintage stuff looking at like the 50s 60s stuff what's really nice is we have we still have stories even though at this point some of them might be from a while ago like i have stories of hearing about some of these players growing up from aunts and uncles and such that have you know gone away you know over the decades um, right. and then i can have like my dad's will talk about some of the players he really liked or some of the players his brothers liked and stuff like that and i think that makes vintage a lot of fun too and it does make that personal and you don't necessarily have that with some of the pre-war stuff but you can kind of build up and connect with stuff so it yeah, just takes I would time say it, it it does take time and i would say you know, like you said, you're talking to your dad. Um, it, I, when I started back in the vintage, you know, when Rick and I were talking about this, we're talking about the the 1948 Cleveland Indians who won. This is the last time we won the World Series. So, um, and that was about the time my parents started dating. Now, my dad had been in the Navy, came back, went to school college and that's where my parents met and so my mom was telling me not too long ago um that when they first met that's all my dad could talk about was the cleveland indians (laughs) and i just think it's funny i never you know my dad and i never sat down and really had a conversation about the 48 cleveland indians which i'm very sorry about now that he's gone but um now when i look at those cards again just like with my grandfather like i wonder who my dad's favorite player was or we had a family friend mrs dubin my mom said oh she loved larry joby that was her favorite player and just just hearing those stories and then picking up the cards and thinking about you know would my dad have liked this card did my dad have any cards (laughs) you know did he take one on his navy ship uh just i don't know it brings those family connections out. So I would say too, if you, all of you who have grandparents, I'm considerably older than most of you, but if you have grandparents who are still around, you know, ask them, bring those up, especially I think, well, I wouldn't just say your grandfather's like my mother is a huge uh, Cleveland guardians fan. So ask them, ask them about who were the players they admired the most and just pick up those cards and you were talking, Mike, too, about, and we'll probably get into this more, about graded versus versus um, raw cards with vintage. And, you know, mostly I buy graded because I want them to be authentic. Um, but recently I picked up a 1950 Larry Doby that is totally beat up. It has It's worn out. It has creases all over the place. But I picked it up because I was like, some kid, carried this around in his or her pocket and just, you know, valued this card and the card looks good. It's centered nicely, but, and I don't really care, you know, if somebody trimmed it, Oh, well, <laughs> that doesn't really matter to me because I already have a graded uh, Larry Doby 50 Bowman, but it's that excitement of just feeling a card that maybe somebody had, you know, 50, even a hundred years ago. Sorry, I get kind of, crazy and zealot about these things so (laughs) well there's just it's just one of the many options and ways to do things uh if you're buying great if you're buying a a more expensive card a pricier card i there's a lot of benefits to buying it great it sure you might pay a little more you might pay a little more of a premium but you have the peace of mind uh knowing a professional's opinion on the condition and its authenticity and kind of a way to figure out a fair price point uh for sure so i'd certainly recommend that with certain stuff but that doesn't mean you should turn down opportunities to buy raw stuff just proceed with a little more caution i mean i buy beat up stuff a lot and i don't Mm -hmm. you know i don't care but if i get it at the right price it's fine Uh, i personally have had very few issues um ever getting burnt on buying raw stuff but i know that it exists. And I know a lot of people, some of it, some of it can be very obvious and people just don't look at it. I've actually been to a few just random auctions and I remember looking and being like, 
at a card. I'm like, that just does not look right. And I've actually seen a few cards <laughs> that literally were labeled reprint and then had some guys bidding on them. I'm like, yeah, just so you know, that's a reprint. And the guy's like, right. yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, all right, man, I, I told you. <laughs> yeah, you have to be, Go for you it, have to be but, very you know, careful. Um, I mean, those are different ways to do it. And if you're buying more common, like if you're like, all right, you know what, I... I want to start off, I like 53 tops or 52 tops, the first more standard size set, whichever you want. 52 is a little more pricey or if maybe 50 or 51 Bowman, whatever. If you're buying some of those commons, you can get the raw ones that aren't in great condition at really reasonable prices. Right. And maybe some of them are theoretically altered because they were beat up in some certain way, but people generally right. speaking are not trimming those cards and so right and condition wise like if you were to get it graded and it'd be a two three the price difference is so it's so minuscule that it really honestly doesn't matter so i think it you know raw grade it i think it just depends on what the item is and what your preference is some people like to have everything graded uh to me right. i used to love getting things graded in any condition but also, three, four years ago, you could grade cards for six, seven, eight dollars, <laughs> and it it wasn't a big yeah. deal. But now, with grading prices closer to thirty and fifty dollars, you do have to take a step back and decide, you know, is that worth it or not? And there have been times I've gotten Phillies cards that I want graded because I like having, especially with the odd releases, I like having the identification there, and I just like having portion of that collection slabbed where I'll just bite the bullet and pay the grading fee. I'm like, oh, this is like an $8 card, but whatever. Right. That's just a personal choice for me, the way I want uh, that portion of my collection. But right. some people I like to disp too, display them all in binders too. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I sit down with some of my binders and flip through them. But I think with grading too, with vintage, you know, if you're if you're really a modern, ultra modern collector, then you're ideally you're looking for nine, nine point fives, tens. But then when you shift to vintage, it's a whole new world. Yeah, you can. Well, uh, I don't know that I've seen any nines or tens in vintage cards, but there are sevens and eights. Oh, I've seen few. Doesn't yeah. mean it was one I was ever uh, in a position to purchase. Right. Exactly. But I mean, there's so many. I'm looking right now. I have a '56 uh, Jackie Robinson that's uh, a three. But if you looked at that card, you could see that card. There's nothing wrong with it. It's beautifully centered. I'm sure it has a few little bent corners and things like that. But um, you, again, you just decide what it is that you like in the looks of a card and you go after that. Some people don't want bend corners to me. It's just like, Oh, well, you know, over time corners are going to bend, but if it's centered nicely, that's what's appealing to my eye. And, and you can get cards for relatively reasonable prices. So I, I would say if you're, if you're trying to get into vintage and you're a little bit nervous about prices, no, there's cards out there that you can afford of players that, you know, so and, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like, yes. to me, I agree. Centering and color, the registration and such. The corners, right. for a card from the 50s, you know, the corners are supposed to have somewhere. I, It almost doesn't look right. If I see a vintage card with four sharp corners, <laughs> honestly, it, I feel like I'm looking at a Topps Archives card or something. Right. So, right. I mean, I think the highest, I have some cards, I think, from the 50s and 60s that I might have gotten great at that were like maybe i got a few eights but that's pretty few and far between most of that stuff yes. you know you're looking at beautiful cards that are going to get you a five and a six and Eight. i'm at the point and i've told a few people who kind of you know i think thought i was joking but i'm like i honestly probably have never cared less about grading even though i continue to grade because i care about the grading <laughs> but i don't the number doesn't matter i have so many cards in my collection and obviously the ultra modern, I'll remember. I'm like, oh, these are tens, these are nines. The right. vintage stuff, like I just get, I forget. Like I, my '53 right. Jackie Robinson, like I honestly don't remember specifically if it's a one and a half, a two, two and a half. Like I gotta pull it out and look at it because right. the card looks great. I like it. Right. I'm happy to have it in my collection. I'm not 
going to be overly concerned with that grade. And I think it's easy to get lost in, in those numbers. And especially if you're kind of just starting out collecting is, uh, it's a long-term thing. It takes a long time. It's kind of, I want to say in a way, and I know that some people are less serious and more serious, but it's almost a lifestyle to a degree. I mean, obviously you have a lot of important things in life to take care of, but it's something you kind of do and you revisit often. I mean, for me, I'm obviously very deep into it. So I, it's very rare. I go a day without (laughs) looking at a card. Uh, Maybe on occasion I'll be up the mountains, but even when I'm up there, like I'll usually have some cards with me. So I'll be thinking about them. And I know maybe that's not your typical collector, specifically someone starting out. Right. But I mean, you have to think about it and take things slow. And it, and it's hard because when you're getting involved, when you're just getting involved in the hobby, you're so excited, you want to go crazy with it. And even if you right. start getting into vintage, you're going to want to go bonkers. You're going to want everything. But you have to keep in <laughs> mind that, I mean, I guess vintage starts in 1980 is what people say. I honestly, when I think of vintage, I think more, I barely even think about like the 70s, I think like 50s, right. 60s, but... Right. That's where my mind goes. But you have to realize it's decades upon decades worth of stuff. And for me, with even like pre-war stuff, I'm like, you got 40s, 30s, 20s, 10s, 1890s, handful right. of cards in the 1880s. I'm like, that's a long time. Um, <laughs> and so there's a lot of different releases and it's going to take you a long time to learn about different sets. And there's so many, you have your typical top sets year after year and a few years of Bowman, but then you have regional releases and food and beverage releases. And you just always going to have something else you're discovering and you're going to see your passion change from time to time too. Uh, Sometimes you're going to be more focused on one thing or another. Like I'm kind of just all over the place personally. I don't know how you are specifically. I know some people are just hell bent on building sets. Like I'm not, I would love to build sets. And if money was no object, I would probably build every set of every release ever invented. (laughs) But like, I'm not someone who has to feel like I'm a completionist. Like I don't, Right. I wanted to complete my Phillies tops team set, but like, at this point, I'm happy having an example of a Phillies card from all the different releases that have ever been out there, and there's a long way to go because some are just so unbelievably rare. But when it comes to Hall of Famers, like I don't feel the need to do a full player run or build like a 1953 top set. Like I would love to, but I also understand that would be a very pricey venture. Um, right. I just love grabbing different examples here and there. No, I'm kind of the same way. I, you know, I so admire um, uh, Alex's um, Bowman 53 collection, you know, and that makes you, seeing how he presents that collection makes you say, oh, yeah, boy, what I love to collect the whole set. But in reality, collecting many sets is almost impossible. And even though there's a lot of people out there after the, T206 cards and that's achievable. I mean, it's going to take you a while, but um, what I like to do is kind of come up with themes and a current theme I'm working on right now is first baseman. And um, that's because uh, I did play first base. I played catcher first base um, and some pitching when I was a kid in softball. And First base, though, was definitely the base that I loved playing, the position I loved playing the most. And so um, uh, on one, Alex has occasionally, he has like a a, a live uh, card room session. And so one night I was saying, you know, I asked all the guys in there, I was like, oh, you know, what's your favorite first baseman, kind of first baseman in action card? And my gosh, you know, I got like 15 suggestions in about two minutes. And so that, that so far has taken me from um, the 70s all the way down to the early 1900s. And so instead of going after all the T206 cards, I just kind of went through and said, okay, who were all the famous first basemen uh, in the T206 set? So it gives me a sampling of T206 without actually having to go after the whole set, which I wish I could do, but... Um, 
And then even in that set, like that subset of uh, first baseman. Right now, I'm kind of collecting them where they have a blue sky and a green field behind them, and they're actually throwing or catching. So, you know, you can just make up these these themes or stories, and that will get you started. And it's amazing how many first baseman cards, action first baseman cards that are out there. In fact, I think. You just sent two to SGC for me. So I'm anxious to see those when they get back. And there's just so, uh, I don't know, there's so many stories behind the cards too, which we talked about a little bit before. We talked about vintage and family members Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. connections that way to teams that are relatively recent history, even though some of these teams and seasons might have been 50, 60, 70 years ago. But like the early 1900s, like for me, I, I made the easy choice of collecting some Phillies. And I'm not mm-hmm. opposed to picking up any just random cards either because there's just so many that sometimes I'm like, that card just looks awesome. Like, I don't even know who that right. guy is, but I'll learn something <laughs> about it. And right. Like, some of the old Phillies, I'd be just researching on the internet as much as I can about them. I'm like, oh, this guy played, and I look up, like, on Baseball Reference, which is it's just an amazing website for baseball fans, yes. and I'm looking up the career statistics and where the guy moved, and then I'm clicking around and reading stuff. I'm like, oh, this guy played four years and then moved to Florida to be a orange farmer or something. I remember the one guy, or or maybe right. it was, no, one of them, one of the old Phillies guys had moved to Georgia to and bought a peach farm or something. And I'm like, it's just right. neat. It's interesting uh, to kind of see how some of these careers evolved and some of these players and just to learn something new about a uh, player or team. And I mean, baseball's got uh, a very, very rich history, as you mentioned, it's really American history so much. And it's fun to collect vintage as well. Cause you see the sport evolve. You see, the hobby evolved in different sizes and types of cards. And I think if you really get yourself and allow yourself to get involved in vintage and learn even more about the history of the sport, that will give you a better appreciation of the sport in general, including the modern times Yes, and a better appreciation for the hobby and actual rarity and stuff like that. Maybe even a different perspective and, you know, I like collecting the brand new stuff a ton, uh, not just Philadelphia players, but just guys I enjoy watching and rookies and guys who have been around for two decades and are on their way to the Hall of Fame. It's it's a lot of fun, but collecting the vintage, I think, has improved my appreciation. And I, I think sometimes we see this in the hobby, maybe not as much lately, but you have kind of like the two different worlds you have the ultra modern and you have the vintage, you know, you have people are just focused on one thing or another. It's right. like, there's the perspective of, Oh, this guy's a vintage collector. He's grouchy. He hates baseball and it's not as good as it used to be. And it never will be. And then you have the ultra modern people who are like, ah, th- those guys, you know, they're all dead. They don't matter. Like, and it's like, if you merge them, it's actually pretty great because, yeah. and I've said it for a few years. I'm like, like I look at Otani and I I do remember when he came up, a lot of people like, ah, oh, this guy. And I'm like, I mean, we'll see if he succeeds. And obviously right. last year he sure did. I'm like, how do you not appreciate watching this guy play? Like he literally just hit a 487 foot home run and struck out the side in back to back innings. Like it's right. And there's a lot of young talent and it doesn't mean all these guys are going to the hall of fame, but to me, baseball is just, it's unbelievable right now. Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr. and right. Tatis when he stays healthy on the field, and that is a factor. Like Fernando Tatis may right. at some point be in Cooperstown. He might be. He right. might not be. He might be someone maybe more like a Bo Jackson who had you know three or four years where he was really good, really dominant. Granted, Bo Jackson had his time in the NFL as well, so maybe that's not a great example, but not every guy is going to be in the hall of fame, but you can collect the vintage guys who are in the hall of fame, but you also look at it and you learn more. Like I think when you get more into it and you buy and collect more of the vintage and then you look at the hall of fame and there are different levels to the hall of fame, you're a hall of famer, you're a hall of famer for sure. 
right. but not all Hall of Famers are necessarily created equal. You can kind of take a look and see the difference between Hank Aaron and Bill Mazeroski, like two right. entirely different players. One right. little bit better than the other one. They're both immortalized <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. And you look right. at that with the modern day guys too. Like there's a big difference between Craig Biggio and Ken Griffey Jr. Right. You know, they're both Hall of Famers and they're both right. there with plaques in Cooperstown. Right. Just two entirely different players. So I think that's something, you know, crossing I think you can also learn a lot about the modern game by looking at some of the vintage stuff and even collecting to a degree too and see who ultimately does matter. Again, if you're in the investment side uh, long-term, like you can learn some stuff from some of the vintage players, some of the greats of the past. Yes. I mean, so many, I had so many ideas popping in my head when you were talking there, but I think, you know, one key is to, to go back in time and try to find the Shohei Otani of a certain era. You know, why, why was this guy popular? So, you know, when you collect vintage, well, when you collect modern, you get like mail every day, right? You're always, <laughs> you're ordering more cards, you're buying a lot of singles. And when you switch to vintage, you kind of, that kind of slows down a lot, depending on what direction you go. But you, I remember Terry and Alex both have said, and you just said, like, when you get the card, you sit down and you read about the player. And why was this, you know, why was this player so good? Why is he in the Hall of Fame? And that will teach you a lot about, you know, why people are the stars they are today, too. So it's that constant connection back and forth. So I really... Yeah, I think you're right. There are people out there who are definitely vintage and definitely ultra modern. But I think there's, you know, I would encourage anyone in either camp <laughs> to explore the other camp because there, there is a lot. There's so many great players today. I'm glad you brought up Tatis. You know, I was like, oh, geez, I can't believe he broke his wrist. And is this going to change who he is? Which makes me sad because, uh, I mean, I hope he overcomes it all. And, but, you know, he's such a, a great face of baseball. Um, you know, the NBA has all their superstars. And don't get me wrong, I love the NBA. I, I watch uh, games all the time. But, you know, baseball could use those kind of superstars. So, um, but then you say, okay, well, who were the superstars way back when? I know a lot of people right now are, I've seen a lot on Instagram about a T206 card of, of a, a guy named Hal Chase. And I didn't know who Hal Chase was, what was shame on me, but it was kind of, it was one of the bad boys of uh, that era. And it was gambling and betting on games and things. So like, gosh, who would do that now? Well, I don't know. Maybe they are doing it. I mean, it's so easy to bet on games anymore, but um, I don't know just those rich, rich stories and connecting, you know, try to connect the past to the future and vice versa. Plus we're also, I mean, the cards we're collecting now, someday they're going to be vintage cards and we're going to be the people sitting around talking about, you know, Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, uh, many, many famous players, Shane Bieber, I hope in my case. <laughs> yeah. Well, when the cards you first open are back in 1989 and you're thinking, oh, they're not that old. And then you compute the years. I'm like, Oh, I guess my, you know, six year old nephew would consider them pretty old. <laughs> oh shoot. Yes. Yes. But time, uh, time flies and you know, things evolve and change. And there's just, that's one of the great things about the hobby though. Like, I love a refractor and the shine as much as anyone, right. but I also right. love that paper artistic look of the 50 Bowman, 51 Bowman. Right. It's, they're just, they're so cool. They're, they're different, but they're all part of an evolution of, of a great game and a fantastic hobby that, you know, people have been involved in some way, shape or form for a very, very long time. I would say, too, if you're trying to get into vintage, <clears throat> there's a, a giant, very heavy book called Classic Baseball Cards, The Golden Years, 1886 to 1956. It's by Frank Slocum. And, it's, and as far as I know, it's mostly used copies that you can get out there. But what it has is it's a huge book with 
every set from 1886 to 1956 and colored pictures of all those sets. So you could just sit down and, you know, sometimes over breakfast, I just flip through the book, look for, you know, pictures that are interesting to me. Why, you know, who is this player? Why was this photograph taken? Why was, you know, who's done all the paintings of all these vintage cards? So if you really want an introduction, and the book doesn't cost that much. I think it's like $25, $30. So that's one uh, direction. The other thing I think that got me interested is is the classic Lawrence Ritter book called The Glory of Their Times, and where he sat down and uh, just interviewed players, and they just spoke into his microphone, and he he just recorded what they said verbatim. And uh, uh, Reese and D-Card Ranger told me about the, the audio version of that card where you actually hear those players. So, again, you know, just figuring out ways to understand vintage. Sometimes that's just part of the excitement even before you buy the cards. So, Yeah, and I definitely have that book. <laughs> that book yeah. is awesome. And every now and then I'll just flip through and I'll be like, oh man, I definitely need a card from that set. And I'm like, oh, I have that card. I've got one from that set. Oh, they made 10 of this guy. I wouldn't mind picking up another one of them, but <laughs> some of them are pretty pricey and some not yeah. so much. But yeah, there's a lot of ways to get involved in one way for sure, you know, looking at the book and reading about and it's just educating yourself and education, not just to learn so you know what you're doing, but maybe for a little inspiration as well. And obviously yeah. there's a ton of people on YouTube that have just decades upon decades of oh, knowledge. Yes. Um, and I'm sure there are vintage guys on Instagram and there's going to be websites. You can read stuff and just even conversing with other collectors, you know, you can be inspired to pick up different players or different cards or learn about different sets. I mean, just forever. I, I mean, I feel like I've seen so much, but I'm always seeing something else I didn't know about or being inspired to pick something else up because of someone else, a different collector um, that might be somewhat like-minded, might be completely different, but right. you see something that inspires you and go, you know what? I really want to add either that card or a card from that set or something similar to my collection. Right. And then you start looking at it and it doesn't mean you go on eBay and be like, oh, click buy it now immediately. Maybe you hit the watch right. later and you just kind of keep an eye for auctions and things like that. Because there are, and you will learn as you go, and it depends from set to set, but there are certain, it's more so pre-war, but there are certain cards that legitimately you will see. You maybe pass on and go, I'll get it later. And then you right. won't see that again for two <laughs> or three years. Right. But then there's other cards that you might jump on immediately and be like, oh, I need to get that card. It's from 1962 tops. And like in reality is you're going to be able to find one uh, either at a show or they'll be listed on eBay fairly often or auction houses. You know, it kind of depends on what grade or something you're looking for. Right. But there's right. definitely dear, different sets or different cards that are a little more rare uh, than others. And it's just something it takes time to – Time, it takes time to learn it's it's easy to jump in and get overexcited um yes it, but the key is you certainly want to balance yourself uh for many reasons you know i don't think anyone ever wants to specifically overpay for something <laughs> there's a time here and there to do so mm -hmm. but at the same time you have to realize like when you're looking at some of these cards that are going to be pretty pricey you know you want to save some funds for some other things as well that's it's funny because I would love to own this um, Christy Matthewson card, and I've never paid that much money for a card. And I've been thinking lately, like you know, okay, I have some money saved up, should I just take the money out and buy the card? And to me, I'm like, no, I think that you really should, uh, uh, like Scott Ranger Studios, you should like save up for the card, like uh, put a little section in your savings account and just deposit X, you know, amount of money every month. And then make that kind of a, you know, a, a gift you give yourself once a year or something like that. Because it's a great investment, really. I can't, I don't know, who knows the future of anything. But I can't imagine that some of these cards that are extremely valuable are going to ever really depreciate. You know, they might hold at what you paid for them. But 
And so what? I mean, really, my collection is for me, like you said, it's for me to look at and to value and, and learn about. Um, someday when I'm gone from this good earth, then you know, somebody else will reap the benefits, but they're not going to really know what I paid for. So <laughs> they'll just get what they get. And for me, it's just important to have, you know, somebody that you admire in your collection. So um, I wanted to say something too, Mike, about how important it is to, um, when you watch the videos, to comment and connect with some of these guys who are really vintage experts. I mean, they are, I mean, this community, I'm overwhelmed by the generosity of this communion, community. But um, folks really want to share their passion with you. Um, I asked, like, Maxa Jackson is a T206, I would say, expert. And I just... Uh, messaged him on Instagram one day. I said, I would love to just sit down and have a phone conversation with you. He's like, okay. <laughs> like we talked for an hour and a half one night. Um, same with uh, Terry Mack of uh, TJ Mack Vintage Cards. I mean, Terry writes such thoughtful comments and he also will, you know, I've emailed back and forth with him just about collecting in general. Sometimes, like you said, you get overwhelmed with your collection. You're like, oh, I feel like I'm going in a million different directions. And you have to kind of sit down and refocus. And somebody like Terry, who's been doing this for over 20 years, you know, he's lived through this. So he, he's helped me kind of refocus um, different parts of my collection. And sometimes you jettison certain parts or just put them off to the side for a little while um, to really zoom in on what you want to focus on. So I would say if you are a person that's wanting to do some work with vintage, definitely go out there, you know, just look on YouTube, find some guys. We, Mike and I've mentioned a couple people already, you know, find those guys and uh, just start just like with everything. Sometimes you just need to start. You just got to jump on in sometimes. Um, right. No, I was going to say even with like the value aspect and that's not necessarily why you collect, but when you are spending money on some of the higher price vintage stuff, you do have the built-in safety net of most likely there's not going to be a lot of volatility. You go invest in a first Bowman Prospect card, autograph. <laughs> Listen, that card might be $15,000 in five years. It could right. also be $3. Like, right. And even with the modern players and a lot of them, and some are more established than others, but you are taking a chance. Right. You just don't know. I mean, these guys are human beings. You don't know where their life's going to lead. You don't know with whether they'll stay healthy on the field. And there is right. the comfort with some of the vintage stuff, whether it's an all-time legend, an all-time great, where it's just going to hold steady and slowly rise in value. Or you might even have, I have some cards of some Phillies guys that 99.9% .9 of people have never heard of, but it's mm -hmm. such a rarity that, you know, if you pay, say, $200 for it, you'll be able to get that money back and maybe even more. It might take a while. It might not be something that, you know, you get 174 offers in the first, you know, 24 hours. Right. But you have no competition with it. There's like six in his right. existence. So, I mean, of course, and I've had people say, oh, it's this and that. And I'm like, listen, if there's a cataclysmic event, then the value of that card is going to be the least of your worries. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> right. but ultimately, like, the price is going to hold steady in right. all likelihood. And, it, you know, even if there is something where things go up and down for a little while like it's gonna find its way back um right. to where it is and you know it's a piece of americana it's a piece of baseball history it's part of sports guards and you know it's just something that so many people love and probably more people than we even realize i mean now that baseball card collecting or sports card collecting has become a little more mainstream you're starting to see a, a few more people come out of the woodwork and some people who don't share their collection or even tell people they collect, you're hearing about it referenced right. a little more here and there. And then more and more people are, of course, because of that getting involved. Um, I've had a number of people I either I used to work with or 
people I grew up with who were suddenly back into cards and I'm like almost like surprised. I'm like, oh man, like this guy's <laughs> into it and this person's back into it. And I mean, that's pretty cool too. And so the yeah. hobby is continuing to grow and with the whole fanatics deal and everything going on there, I mean, whether you're a fan of fanatics or not, like right. they're pretty darn good at marketing products and buying in on stuff at the right time. So I, I think they see uh, that the hobby is continuing to grow exponentially and with the way they market and I think card collecting is probably in a pretty good space I mean maybe you want to be selective which you buy but if more people get involved more people will eventually find their way to the vintage stuff and I mean I I think that's a good thing if you have a you know a decent collection it's not necessarily a bad thing and right. you think about it, it's a very small fraction of sports fans and people who attend games who collect cards seriously. So if it just grows by a very small percentage, right? you know, it, it will have uh, effects. So that's kind of the way I look at it. And it's important to, it's important to tell the young people in your life about your collection, to share your collection. And even if it's just say, you know, watch Uncle Mike's video. I mean, it's funny. I'll tell little kids sometimes I have a YouTube channel and they're like, what? You know, they're like, well, that old lady, she's got a YouTube channel. Woohoo. <laughs> but I've also got a couple of kids interested in collecting cards. Um, and I, that, that's the most exciting thing to me is when you get somebody young interested in this hobby. And I've even had, you know, parents come up and thank me for introducing their child to collecting cards because. It's just such a fun hobby, and you can do it at so many levels. And, you know, for them, like you said, you know, my, the cards I grew up with are vintage for them. So um, I'm now sharing those histories and that they can understand and appreciate. So uh, I, I think it's just, you know, really great, the community and how we can just share with each other both up and down the age ladder and same with the with the cards, you know, from the Ultramar to to Allen and Ginter. So I don't know. It's pretty exciting. Uh, that's why I love talking about it. I love talking with you about it because I know you and I share a lot of the same enthusiasm. So it's absolutely fun, and there's so much to uh, to unfold and to enjoy, and looking at them and enjoying them, and just even looking them up on eBay sometimes I'm like, Oh man, I want that card. And I want that card. And it's like, you're like a kid in a candy store. I'm like, all right, I got to take a step back. And that's one of the great things about going to shows. Like you don't even have to, of course you go to a show and you want to buy things. And this past national, I did pick up a few big, bigger cards, but like typically at the national, I don't even buy that much. I just kind of take it in and look at stuff and kind of get inspired by stuff and just looking through the showcases and sure that 52 mantle and a four is amazing. I, but I know I'm not buying that card. I, I you know, I'm not going there carrying, you know, 50, a hundred thousand dollars with me. Um, but right next to it, you might have a card that's pretty darn nice as well. And it might be like 80 bucks and you right. can think about it and be like, all right, that's at least on my radar. And there's right. so many great players and great looking cards. You just kind of take mental notes or even, you know, type them out on your phone, make a note and right. look at the cards um, to potentially right. pick up, kind of make an ever, ever going list. I mean, I have a right. list of cards that I'm looking to add at some point, kind of like a checklist or some stuff I need. Right. Just in a Google hey, document. Yes. Google doc or, uh, you know, just sometimes like I sometimes just put, take a photo of the card and put it in a, uh, a separate folder in my f- photos. And I'm like, Oh, well, what were the cards I was looking at. So yes. Cause you definitely can't afford. Well, I can't, I don't know. Some people probably could, but I just can't afford to go out there and say, Oh, I'm going to get these 10 cards this week. So, but I want to know if I, you know, like if I'm just, wanting to spend some time on eBay and look around at the cards. It's nice to know the list. And that's, I do put a lot of my watch list too. Thank goodness for reminders of, you know, what you have on your watch list? Cause I'm like, Oh, and I, I think a lot with vintage cards, if you put them on your watch list too, that you will get a deal. If it's a buy it now, a lot of the, those folks, if you're on their watch list, that they'll send you a discount. So 
I would say put it on your watch list for at least a week before you pull the trigger unless you're dying to have the card. Oh, yeah, I love the watch list, just waiting for the uh, offer request. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the limit, I forget if it's 200 or 500, whatever your right. limit is, but I just, this morning, I had to go through and be like, all right, click the end tab and delete a whole bunch of stuff because I was adding right. stuff to it. <laughs> yes. Doing that. But Nina, yes. it's been a fantastic conversation. We've somehow managed to go over an hour already. Uh, it's just always a blast talking about baseball cards, talking yes. about baseball, talking about vintage cards. It is, uh, it's fun for sure, and I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to join Hobby Talk with Mike O. Uh, any uh, final thoughts you wanted to share with the audience? Um, I would just, I want to thank you, Mike, for inviting me to be on this. I mean, you know, talking to the Mike O is is pretty cool for me. So uh, I'll mark this day down in my journal as a very special day. But um, no, I, I would just say, you know, th there's nothing I can't say that other people have already said. But uh, if you're interested in vintage, I'd say just go buy one card, you know, take a look, think about your teams, think about something maybe your grandpa told you, and just go buy that card. Uh, you can buy a raw or graded. Uh, just have some fun with it. That's what this hobby is all about, right, Mike? Having fun. So, If you're not having fun in this hobby, you're definitely uh, doing something wrong and need to uh, <laughs> figure it out for sure. It's uh, it's certainly a blast. And like I said, there's so many layers to it, so many different ways to do it. Just go out there, get yourself a few cards, test the waters. I'm sure you'll have fun. You'll get addicted. And you may or may not thank us later. Um if you don't, it'll be mostly because of your wallet, I'm sure. But yeah, uh, it's it's definitely fun. Well, and let us know, right, Mike? We'd love to hear. You know, if you did take a plunge on a certain car, what card? What did you get? And why did you get it? So, for sure. So make sure you check out Nina S on YouTube. And if you're watching this podcast, if you're listening to it on YouTube, leave a comment down below. Also, Spotify, SoundCloud, I don't know, some other things that podcasts are on. They're all connected. Like them, comment on them if it allows you, and uh, definitely appreciate the support. Hope to be back soon. Hope to have Nina on again soon, and appreciate everyone listening. Have a great one. Mm -hmm.